Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today it's going to be taken up a notch. So the last few podcasts have been teetottering around behaviours, mindsets, maintenance and all things that keep results. But today I have Aaron Scafey. I think I said that correct. Oh, Scafey. That'll do. Aaron Scafey <laughs> and... He kind of makes women even more elite, let's just say. He like he knows the ins and outs of body recomposition and body recomposition in simple terms is you want to build muscle, you want to lose fat and you want to get this toned body, this lean physique. And the way we go about it, isn't really optimal. We do too many sets. We do too many reps. We think that high reps is the way to look toned. We think that not eating enough is the way to look toned. And we're also going to touch a little bit on hormones when it comes to females being different from men, because should we really train differently than men? Should we approach nutrition differently than men? And why is building muscle so important? And then we're going to talk a little bit about gut health and this whole detox and what it really, really means at the base level. So with that, I'll let you take it away and let's get your view on should we really train differently and should we really approach nutrition differently? Uh, thanks for the, the intro. Our uh, name's Aaron from Elite Strength here in Vic. Um, apologies to those listening. I do have a bit of a chest infection. No, I don't have the uh, deathly virus, but it's just um, if I sound a little bit nasally or if I'm a little bit slower than usual, it's just because uh, chest infection is getting me a little bit, but I've had my coffee or my brain juice. So hopefully we can get some good content out on this. Um, thanks to you, Ruby, for having me on first and foremost. So Talking about, I guess, training in general, right? I mean, whether you're male or female, I guess the question is, are you training hard enough? <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, on your sex. The, the first and foremost is always training hard. So if you're wanting to achieve some form of hypertrophy or recomposition or some form of goal to do with resistance-based training, it usually comes down to training with some form of effort and the effort needs to meet uh, the goal required, right? So if you're you know, trying to pursue uh, hypertrophy, bigger muscles, more muscle. Um, we know that the primary driver of skeletal tissue is tension. So tension being weight or weight on a bar effectively. Now, obviously there's quite a few caveats that go to that, but um, the primary <laughs> source of building muscle, the takeaway of the nutrition side of things and recovery side of things is more weight on a bar for more reps. That's really that simple. And that, that doesn't make it, it doesn't differentiate between you being male or female. <laughs> the bar doesn't care what sex you are. <laughs> this is something that you guys need to replay and write it down because the bar does not care whether you're male or female. And that's the whole point that I wanted Aaron to get out is because people think that just because you're female, you should be lifting differently to men or because you're in a fat loss phase, you should be lifting differently. Well, it only changes because of recovery, but it's still the same principle. The focus is always your training to build muscle. Now, Aaron trains a lot of strength athletes. I mean, elite strength. And in training a lot of strength athletes, 
coming from a background of strength myself and a lot of people even looking at me and saying, I wish I had your legs. Well, it's like these legs have spent time under weights that are over double my body weight, almost triple my body weight. And that didn't make me look like a man. That didn't make me bulky. That didn't get me fatter. Like maybe you can touch on the importance of just how much building muscle changes our physique and the importance behind muscle itself yeah so the the bulky argument's always an interesting one um <laughs> i used to encounter it a lot back when i first started coaching uh, with females and you know it was like oh why are you here like what what do you want from my coaching and it's like i just want to get toned i don't want to look bulky and it's kind of like okay cool um define bulky <laughs> like what, what is bulky to you i think that's a, everyone's perception of certain things is always interesting so asking you know past female clientele and even current client female uh, female clientele that say the same thing it's kind of like hey like what's what's bulky mean to you and it's kind of like well it's always reference to men it's kind of like oh like Arnold Schwarzenegger for example it's like cool that's a really good example now did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was on a ton of steroids <laughs> like are you on a ton of steroids no good chance you're not going to get that bulky like <laughs> it's um one of those things right and it's like most people both male and female just seem to have this weird perception of what goes into being like that big because that's always usually the the marker of bulky right like a, a bodybuilder whether it be you know an athlete a fitness athlete on a tv commercial who you know we know is mostly on some form of enhancement <laughs> because that's the game um or you know a professional bodybuilder where they see it on a post or on an instagram ad or something like that and even with a lot of the females, um, they use like a lot of females uh, for uh, advertisements and stuff like that. And you look at them and they're, they're completely shredded. And it's just like, yeah, like you want a body like this, do this. And it's kind of like, you're not talking about all the enhancement practices that you are going through as well, because it's a big thing, especially on Instagram. Like it's, it's huge. Um, there are so many <laughs> females using some form of enhancement. Now, Again, we can dive into the topic of enhancement, but enhancement doesn't necessarily just mean anabolics. There's so many other versions and ways to enhance a physique, right? Especially in the female cohort. So don't think as a female that you being bulky or you have the potential to get bulky because what generates that kind of bulk is testosterone and you do not produce anywhere near enough testosterone to get bulky, but what you would deem bulky, if that makes sense it's it's the most important thing to try and separate with what you see on social media as well because like I didn't even know that there were different forms of enhancement it's like there is so much out there that we don't know and if we're looking to these ladies and we want to look like them or we don't want to look like them what actually is going into that and aside from that in itself I know I can speak for myself as a female. When I looked at other ladies' physiques and I saw like this really toned look, this amazing body that I want, like one of your clients, for example, mm-hmm. there's like these people with amazing shape, amazing bodies. They look feminine. They have a lot of muscle, but they don't look fat. And it's like, yes, I want to walk around in that body. But the thing is that body has a lot more muscle mass than you do right now. And that might be really hard for you to comprehend. And it doesn't come from dieting your way there. So how exactly should we approach getting this body composition of our dream, realizing 
as in actually the question I want to pose in here as well is, should we do fat loss phases differently? Do our hormones mean that we need to do fat loss phases differently, have breaks differently? So, okay. So for the first part of that question, you will never, and not when I say you, I don't mean you personally, I mean you, the listener, will never look like someone else. You are you. And that's the biggest thing. And it's the, probably the hardest thing to accept, right? You can look the best that you can with the practices a coach puts in place for you and provided the coach obviously knows what they're doing. Um, you will look the best that you can look in the time frame that's you know designated to you really. It's so inter-individual. It's just um, stressing that point more than anything is probably the biggest thing from my end, um, especially with mostly female clientele. That's what we look at. It's like, hey, like you want to look like this person, but hold on, this person's six foot four and you're three foot one. Like in what world, in comparison, your legs, for example, are probably going to be bigger than mine. I'm six foot one. You're like, what, five foot four? <laughs> like I, I have no, no chance. <laughs> my, I have so much more muscle on my bone to grow and make it look like a certain size. It just takes time, right? It just takes time and reps. Whereas that's why when we look at the um, bodybuilding world, or especially in the male side of things, but even females, but male bodybuilders, the best of the best, Barb Rami, uh, five foot, they're, like, they're, they're under six foot. They might look really tall on stage. They're all under six foot. They're like five foot six, five foot seven, five foot eight. So, you know, it's very rare that you get a bodybuilder that comes across who's over six foot and is going to place on stage. It's very rare. That just comes down to genetics. So you can't help your genetics. Blame your parents because it's their fault and blame their parents because it's their fault too. So, um, you know, you'll look the best that you can look with what you got. And that's as simple as that. And, you know, you need to find a way to, I guess, accept that and be okay with that. Now, when it comes to a hormonal side of things, well, yeah, I mean, we're very different, right? (laughs) Like males dominant, hormone well for a period of time anyway for most of the time is testosterone it's what builds muscle that's what gives us our what we have our androgenic effects so androgenic effects being like our facial hair you know deep voice body hair you know that sort of stuff ability to to build muscle and all that sort of stuff and that's why when we take like anabolic steroids that's what happens for males on the flip side when females their dominant um, hormone is estrogen well, I guess it's a mix of estrogen, progesterone, but we just say estrogen just for argument's sake. That's not to say that estrogen isn't good. It does not to say that estrogen doesn't build muscle. It does. When there's estrogen present, it does mean that there's some form of testosterone present as well. And then you have to look through like the menstrual cycle and see when, you know, certain periods of time have higher um, escalations of estrogen versus progesterone and all that sort of stuff, but totally different conversation, right? <laughs> um, estrogen is effectively the muscle builder for females but again, estrogen's present because there is some testosterone present, if that makes sense. Whereas males, we have more testosterone and less estrogen, right? Again, estrogen is really important in both sides because it's a liver protective, brain protective, kidney protective, or we'll just say organ protective. It also is ergogenic, so it can help you lose body fat, provided it's in balance. If you have a estrogen dominance, then it's a problem. And then, you know, and it's the same thing in males. So it's like when guys you know get bigger and that sort of stuff and then when they start using exogenous hormones we want to keep estrogen at balance with testosterone because one's attacking one's defending if that makes sense i guess this is a really important time to talk about the effects that dieting and overdoing any whether it's going up or going down but we want to talk about the dieting because that's what women Mm -hmm. seem to do the most going pushing that too far Mm -hmm 
increases your cortisol. Now, cortisol is not good nor bad, but if you keep pushing it down, this impacts your sex hormones because Mm. now your progesterone is going to go down. Now someone's going to say your estrogen's too high. Yeah, yeah, well, then your your ratio of estrogen to progesterone moves out of whack and then you become estrogen dominant. So energy deficits is what we call dieting right <laughs> energy and like we all we've all heard energy and energy out blah 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 while people are like oh you know that's not the end all and be all it kind of is because it's the overarching principle of what's happening so energy in is food energy out is your expenditure so basically your activity during the day if you base if you limit your energy input for a period of t- for a longer period of time we start to develop these chronic maladaptations adaptations that we we don't want and like you just said, um, you know, as soon as cortisol rises, cortisol will affect male and females similar yet different. So in a very similar fashion, yet a little bit differently, purely because we as males don't necessarily have these estrogen progesterone levels that get affected by cortisol. Whereas with females, they seem to be affected by a higher cortisol. When we say high cortisol, it's high cortisol for a period of time. It's not acute. So it's like, if you, have, if you wake up one morning with high cortisol, you're going to be okay. It could be you just had a bad sleep. You had something really weird to eat the night before. It could be you just didn't eat the night before and you're waking up stressed because cortisol is that stress, what we call that stress hormone. But when we say stress, we don't mean, um, it, it could be mean any form of stress. It's just your body recognizes most types of stress, simply as stress, right? Just for keeping it as simple as possible. So, you know, in the mornings you wake up, cortisol is what wakes you up. So it's kind of like you need cortisol <laughs> to, to live otherwise you just don't wake up but with that in mind if it's chronically high you will have downstream effects on progesterone estrogen um, and then you'll have problems with your menstrual cycle irregularity of the menstrual cycle and then you'll have problems you know and they just keep going they just keep cascading through Bring in the fire yeah. with that as well, because women don't realize that your sex hormones don't just impact the ability for you to have a baby, but it really, really can play a toll on your metabolism because of oh, the d- Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anything that anything that starts to affect like one hormone or two hormones, it's usually you're going to find they all work in cycle. So, um, you know, effectively downstream, your thyroid will be affected. It, it's not necessarily whether it slows down or speeds up. It's not sort of how it works. It's whether it produces um, T3, T4 um, at a subsequent rate or at a decent rate for you then to use and or to utilize. Um, so it, it gets a little tricky when it comes to thyroid only because most of it's controlled by the hypothalamus. So your entire menstrual cycle is regulated by hypothalamus. But then we have these external factors that can happen like things in the brain. like... Yeah, yeah. So the things that like things like cortisol and stuff that come in, um, basically from like an outside factor. So it's like you have this downstream effect of hypothalamus into you know producing FSH and LH, and then again downstream into estrogen or it's pregnenolone, and then you know through that sort of mechanism into the into estrogen into the um, menstrual cycle, and then you have things on the outside that can come in and cave it and just be like, okay, well now we have cortisol that's giving problems. Where does that start affecting the wheel effectively? So. One thing I want to just remind people is that we need to not look at biomarkers as in like cortisol too high or whatever it is that we try to rivet ourselves on. Don't look at them in isolation. It's trends. But how can mentally dieting, like this binge restrict cycle, this let's just eat so little and then overeat for a few days, how can this still lead to the same maladaptations that have people still having a lot of fat, hardly really eating all that much? most of the time 
trying to do too much yet stuck. Yeah, so I mean, from it depends. There's, there's two ways we can look at this. We can look at it from like the mental health aspect, which is definitely not my field. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a psych, so um, there's usually some sort of mental health, not issue, but some something at play that's probably making someone feel a certain way. The other thing that we can look at from a physiological standpoint is leptin and ghrelin and what they're doing there. So um, that's a whole different ball game. So that's not even really attached to a lot of this diff- like this stuff. It does sort of insert and like divert in. <laughs> but it's not, it's its own problem as well. So when you're chronically dieting, leptin and ghrelin basically get thrown out the window. You know, your body's telling you you're, you're not hungry. And then as soon as you start eating, your body's telling you you're starving and then you're feeding it enough food and then you're just starving even more yet. You're not starving because you've got enough energy coming in, but because the body hasn't had enough energy for a period of time, the body's like, shit, I need to store all this food. Keep giving me food so I can store it because prehistorically we're not meant to diet down. <laughs> Our body's not designed to starve itself and die which is effectively what we're doing when we diet down. So what he's trying to say is you need to keep your body <laughs> safe. Like there is a lag effect with everything in the body. And yeah, okay, it is calories in, calories out, energy in, energy out, but your hormones, your health status, all this stuff impacts how your body uses the calories. Like exactly it's right. still energy in, energy out, but there is a lot of shit that happens in the interim. It's like you put something into a cylinder and then it comes out. You don't really see what's, no, what's going on. Yep. Like you just can't exactly. see it. You can, and I feel like women, they might feel it, but then they swipe it off and then they just keep plugging through. And it's like, you have the markers there, but you're ignoring them, which is just yep. combusting into this big explosion. And I guess one thing you can link to the physiology with the binge restrict thing as well is your metabolism adapts to the lower calories, even yep. though you're still feeding it higher. So you're, your body will always look for what we call homeostasis. Your body's an amazing machine when it comes to this way. Your body's got, it's funny, the, the best um, analogy I've ever heard of the human body is it's got two primary functions depending on if you're male and female. If you're male and female, it's to live. That's it. It doesn't want to die. It wants to stay alive. That's it. And if you're female, to reproduce. <laughs> That's it because males can't reproduce, right? So your body will do everything that it can to stay alive. So once you start doing things that, you know, effectively attack it and kill it, like dieting, which is restricting the energy that the body needs to function in an optimal manner, <laughs> your body is going to do what it needs to do to then live and stay alive. So what happens is things like, because we have less energy in, um, your body will do, will preserve that energy. And that's where the, that metabolism downregulation or upregulation, depending on how you want to look at it, happens or occurs. So what happens is your metabolism starts doing its thing and saying, okay, if this is the new norm, then we're going to cut some shit out. So it's like, okay, we're not going to bounce my knee. I'm not going to want to get up and go for a walk up, up the stairs. I'm going to take the elevator or the lift. I'm not going to do these certain little things that require energy, right? Because it's like, well, I don't know when my next energy hit's going to come. So I'm going to grab it and I'm going to store it. And that's when leptin and ghrelin start playing their, their little game. So and then what happens is we have this turnover time or this turnover rate of when leptin and ghrelin start to actually function a bit more normally again. In that lag time between dieting down and then moving back to maintenance, your brain is still, well, your stomach and your brain are both saying, hey, I'm still kind of hungry here. I need the food. And it's not, you're not actually hungry. Your food, your stomach and your brain are both saying, we need to store energy because if you do this to us again, we want to have that energy 
for a bad time. And that energy, unfortunately, most of the time ends up being fat. So <laughs> when that occurs, <laughs> like, well, your body's going to sit there and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to chill out here. I've got enough fat to last me 12 months. Do what you want to me. I'm good. But then if you're super, super lean, when you don't have any fat stores, your body's going to be like, bruh, I need fat, like send it my way. And then as soon as you start eating, your body's like, nah, I still need more fat. And then I need more fat. And then the switch just doesn't get turned off or it takes too long to get turned off. And then that's when we start having those problems of that binge sort of that binge eating type scenario. And it's, you're basically, you succumb to your hormones. That's so true. Like you are a slave to your hormones. You can't override that. You need to work with your body. And I guess this is why, in a way, it's so important that if you don't have the knowledge or you don't have the energy and time to prioritize going deep into this shit, it is really important to actually get someone to help you through it because yeah. that, that's where everything blows off the seal. Like intuitive eating doesn't exist until you actually have education around the food if you actually want to look a certain way. Like you need to know how to live at maintenance first before you can actually become more flexible and intuitive with the eating but i want to circle it around to the question now that everyone understands it is how should we now knowing all that approach getting this dream physique differently when we have to lose fat and get that muscle the biggest thing and the funny it's probably the the thing that's changed the most about myself as a coach is actually one making sure that you're in a position to let's say your goal is to diet down for example um making sure you're in a health position to diet down first and foremost and when we say health we don't mean just physically obviously physically plays a big part but mentally as well like you need to be willing to accept periods of hunger and that you're you're doing this for an aesthetic outcome so it's like well hold on your brain is going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm really hungry right now. And it's like, you know, you need to be telling yourself, yeah, like no shit. <laughs> like, you're, I'm, I'm meant to be hungry. And on the flip side to that, if you're not hungry, you're probably not in a deficit, <laughs> which is something that I like to um, really, really re reiterate. Um, there's no way around being in a deficit. You will always be hungry. And, and it's just, again, people think it's yeah, emergency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot, well, a lot of people, I remember there was, I don't know, it's not so much now. There was a phase probably a couple of years ago saying, oh, we can manage your deficit by, you know, eating these foods and you're not going to feel hungry and you're going to be satiated for longer and blah, 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 yeah, blah. And then when you looked at, when you looked at the client's results, they looked the exact same and you're like, okay, well clearly because they're at maintenance because they're not hungry, like no shit. So you need to be hungry to be in a deficit. It, that, that's just a normal byproduct. It's a physiological process that you can't change. I mean, if you can let me know because that'd be sick, but you can't. <laughs> so, you know, you need to be hungry for a period of time and you need to be okay with being hungry. I think that's the biggest thing. So from a physiological standpoint, we need to make sure we're healthy enough to diet down. But then also from a mental health standpoint, we need to make sure that we're okay to be hungry for a period of time and accepting of that. That's, I actually really wanted to emphasize that because you might not see it in your end, but I see it a lot. People think that they can just bypass it all because this is why I'm sure you saw it as well. This is why I put up my post the other day saying, These, this is how you lose weight. Number two, calorie deficit. Number one was being a place to get into a calorie deficit because yeah. a lot of people do treat hunger as an emergency or they can't sit with that hunger. They think that it's there's something wrong with them because that message is still getting put out there. So number one, get yourself in a place to allow it mentally and physically. From there, where do we go? 
Yeah, well, I mean, once we've once we've done and established that you're physically and mentally ready to diet down, it's literally adherence to the plan and trusting your coach. And hopefully, your coach has a clue. Like if Ruby's your coach, listen to your coach. She knows her shit. So, you know, that's the point. Is now that we have this plan in place, it's following the plan and trying not to deviate it as often as possible, right? Depending on the strategy used for the, for dieting down, it's like, well, if we're going to do a, a, a slower burn, for example, where we're just going to pull calories away very slowly over a longer period of time, which is, you know, one way to diet down, then you need to trust that because week one to week two, you may not have lost any weight or any body fat. Doesn't mean that from week two to week three or week three to week four, you're not going to accommodate that and lose maybe two kilos. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't lose anything for the first two weeks. And the last two weeks, I lost a kilo each week, 500 grams on average per week, two kilos for the month. It's like, that's pretty damn good. If that makes sense. So it's like trusting the process of the coach. Uh, it's probably the next phase once we're healthy and ready to go mentally, provided the coaches obviously run through the plan, which I would just assume that the coach has, <laughs> but maybe that's my mistake. <laughs> yeah. That's like, you need to trust it and realize it is going to take time and knowing that it isn't a forever phase, because I think a lot of people approach it like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to live like this. I can't make all these sacrifices. And it's just like, that's why you need to pre-qualify for the deficit. And then realize this is just a phase. You're not going to be like in a fatless phase for ages, especially if you are going to go the moderate route where you want to get it done in like eight, 10 weeks, even though most people think that it should go longer. Like when do we know how long we should drive that for before coming back out of it? Yeah, there's heaps of telltale signs now. It really depends on the coach. For example, like you just use sort of the eight to 10 week mark. And then a lot of people thinking that that's a short period of time. For me, that's a long period of time. So <laughs> my clients will tell you that I, I go short and hard, like we're in fat loss phases for four to six weeks and that's it, but it's extreme. But I work with a certain clientele that can do that. Like I work with an aesthetic based goal client that basically wants to get on stage or needs to to drop weight pretty quick usually and again there's a lot more work that goes into the obviously the pre-qualifying of of this because it takes a toll right but at the same time we've had clients that have done 12 almost 12 months of dieting not to say that they dieted every single day for 12 months that we've had weeks of maintenance months of maintenance and refeeding and all that sort of stuff so then we start to look at what are the negative effects of dieting and when to pull things out? So it depends on what you're measuring. So you can measure things like blood pressure, blood glucose levels. You can measure sleep quality, sleep time. You can measure actual um, like photos. There's probably a big one. You can look at what's happening on the physique itself. And then once we start to accumulate diet fatigue, these things will show. And again, everybody's different. And that's why the more data we can take as coaches, the better of a picture we have when things start to go, I guess, not wrong, but they start to trend in the wrong way. And it's kind of like we can get ahead of that um, and we can be a bit more responsive on that. And instead of being um, a bit more proactive, we can be a bit more reactive, right? So okay. it's like, the, go on. I was going to say something to also bring into that is diet fatigue isn't just physical, it's mental. Like oh, 100%. decision fatigue, just yeah. people not actually putting in the same effort they did in the first four weeks and then it starts mm. to win and then they wonder why progress stalled or they're looking yeah. worse for a period of time. So, Yeah, and we can use things like refeeds and free meals and that sort of stuff to help manage fatigue and that sort of stuff. But it really depends on <clears throat> the length of time acquired or required for the goal. Um, so, And it's kind of why I like to do things short and sharp. Kind of, I, don't, I don't need to really use 
refeeds. I don't really need to use free meals. It's kind of like, okay, four weeks, you can give me 30 days of just, you know, tough work and then we can reassess, you know what I mean? And it's always having that client, the client involved as well in the process. But if we have a longer, let's say 12 to 16 week diet, we can then go, okay, at every fourth week, we might take a two day refeed. And it kind of gives the client like, okay, I've got, you know, 25 days I need to do this. Like, cool. I can do this for 25 days. It's like day one, tick, day two, tick. They get to 25. Yes. Carbs or whatever it is that you're doing for the refeed. Maccas, whatever makes you happy. Like, you know, and then we get past that three days. It's like, I feel good. That fatigue is washed off. Let's go back and let's do this again. So it's like the client then understands in that three-day refeed, you're probably going to put on a little bit of weight. It's literally just intramuscular glycogen and triglycerides with a little bit of water that comes with the extra carbs. You might look a tad watery depending on if you've got the balance right with the amount for the refeed. And then it's like, okay, cool. Back into it and then look that washed off in the first three days and we're already down an extra kilo. Like shit, (laughs) magic, science. You also have to keep in mind that you can't copy someone else's protocol. You can't just like, oh, oh, this person's doing a three-day refeed. Maybe I can do that. Yeah, but at the same time, I know that I can't do that shit because as soon as I start, I can't stop. And a lot of people have that mentality where, okay, now I had this, I'm just getting, and then you start to keep falling off plan day after day, week after week, because you've lost that consistency. So you need to figure out what it is you want from the start and stop. Like when you take the longer approach, and do periods of fat loss in between, that is the best way to be consistent with it because you can touch on this because most of, like, you want to look like an athlete. This is exactly what Aaron does. Like, Aaron trains and coaches people of that sort. I am one myself. And a lot of people's, a lot of people would say goals to my body, would say goals to someone else who's like me. But we treat ourselves in that way. We don't spend forever dieting and we have to spend times getting uncomfortable, getting bigger, so to speak, to be able to see those results pan out. But why is it important to spend more time building the body versus... Put it this way. It's much, 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 much easier to lose fat than put on muscle. Uh, The process of putting on muscle is more energy taxing than it is to lose body fat. That's just from physiology. That's simple physiology. So putting on tissue takes longer. That's why we're in surplus phases usually for a longer period of time if the goal is to put on muscle, which when people say, both male and female say, I want to look like this person. And and then like you'd said, they're usually a more muscular version of what it is that you want. Well, yeah, we need to be in at least a maintenance phase to give you half a chance of growing and then into a very slight surplus, which then leads to, you know, potential body fat gain depending on the severity of the surplus will depend on how much body fat you put on and how adherent you are to the protocol that your coach has put in place um, would also depend on how much body fat you put on. And then we can look at doing this dieting stuff down, but you're not going to spend, you know, 12 months in a deficit. So again, when we look at the overarching principle of energy out, energy in, if you basically decrease energy in for, let's say forever, like what's going to happen, you die you don't have enough energy coming in. (laughs) How are you meant to live, right? (laughs) That's just a point of time where your body's like, I'm not getting enough energy. I'm done. Bye. And just sort of takes off, right? So we need to have this balance of maintenance, growth phases and deficits, and then understanding which one to apply when. We want to build tissue and look a certain way and whatever that is, then maintenance to surplus to build tissue 
and then once we have acquired either the tissue that we want the body weight that we want or we've accumulated too much body fat which is also unhealthy for us we can then move into that deficit and start to mitigate that by dropping body fat to a level where you know yourself or the coach is happy to then move back to a maintenance phase and then either go back to a surplus phase or back into a deficit depending so I guess a great way to sum it up, because I really want to touch on going back to that hormonal stuff, is realize this person, even though you know that you will never look like someone else, but the, the, the type of body that you want is a more muscular version of you. And the thing is, muscle does have weight. And in Aaron's words, it is energy taxing, more energy taxing to put on muscle. But what's that? What's that second word? It's more energy taxing that means it needs more food but muscle also burns more calories albeit it's not that big of a difference but the thing is if you're active throughout the day you are carrying more muscle around the muscle needs to maintain itself and you're able to move more weights more load in the gym which in itself is a massive stimulus on creating that body that you want but feeding back into the hormonal cascade of dieting and i guess on the other side having too much body fat, like they are both inherently unhealthy and mm-hmm. bringing in detox. Our, if <laughs> our liver and our gut health are like are very, very poor of health, then we're not going to be able to extract nutrients from food. And fat is a toxic, like it's a toxin site. That's where all the toxins are stored. So realizing that on either side of the equation, it's all about our lifestyle and our nutrition that brings us to an equilibrium. How would you say we tackle it if someone's been over dieting, even if they're over fat, but if they're over dieting in that stage where they're chronically maladapted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- we, yeah that, that, that's, an easy, that's an easy one. So when we get a new client and they've been, oh, I've been dieting for 12 months and you're kind of like, hmm, have you though? So we'd be going straight to a maintenance phase. And so it's like, I'm going to put you at maintenance. I'm going to put you at maintenance for six months. Like, sorry. Um, at the end of the day, our job as coaches is to look after the client's health. It may not be what the client wants, and that's okay. Um, you know, if the client then wants to go elsewhere to get what they want, they're just going to have to, you know, go full circle and come back and realize, oh, this coach actually was looking after me. Who would have thought? Happens all the time, <laughs> right? So, getting a client that's chronically dieted down but doesn't look like they've chronically dieted down or not in a real position to client to have dieted down, um, it's it's a simple conversation, and the conversation usually is, hey, like. We have some potential issues going on here. We need to look at a few things while we do that. I'm going to put you at maintenance, um, you know, and you're probably going to get a recomp effect anyway, depending on the training style, which is where I sort of specialize, Um, putting some, a new client at maintenance and giving them a different training stimulus, which is what sort of develops that recomp effect for the first six to eight weeks anyway. So, and then, you know what, they're really, really happy because in two months time, they've leaned out, put on tissue, but the scale weight hasn't moved. And it's like, yeah, because you've dropped some body fat, you've added some muscle, like, here you go, right? And we're just going to continue this process for six months. We're going to keep you healthy. Oh, look, six months has turned around. You're now in a position to grow deficit, whatever it is that we want to do. But yeah, that initial client interaction with somebody that's been uh, maladapted for a while, it's like, hey, okay, we need you at maintenance for six months at least because we need all these functions to basically recorrect themselves because the body will do that. That's what the body does as a machine. It is so efficient that it will look after you because what did we say at the start? Your body wants to live and live well. So 
it'll recorrect itself most of the time. It may need a little support here and there. You may need to, you know, use a supplement here, a supplement there to, you know, stimulate this or decrease that. But most of the time, just a matter of time and energy um, requirements. So make sure you get the energy in that's required for the body to help repair itself effectively. Everything you just said there, it's so perfect. It like six months, why six months? Why not four months? Like that's the thing that a lot of people need to realize. So why is it so important that we actually push this through for maintenance? Like, yeah, okay, you still have body fat to lose, but why is it so important physiologically and mentally as well to actually stay in this phase? to get you just to chill out because your body's so hyper-stressed internally and mentally, you're probably going to be fried from doing all this stuff. The way I look at it is if, I, if I've, I'm just thinking of a new client that I've had that come on board that are in a similar position where new clients come on board, they're so stressed because they've been dieting for so long and they're not getting the result. And that in itself is causing them to retain more because cortisol goes through the roof and it's like everything that we were speaking about before. And it's kind of like, okay, we need you to just basically relax from a two-pronged approach. We need you to mentally chill the fuck out. Sorry, swearing. But we then need you also, (laughs) we need you then to also chill out from a physiological standpoint. We need all these little internal stresses to just really relax and calm down. Once these things calm down, it's like everyone uses the hype word inflammation. Like, okay, cool. Let's use inflammation as a thing. Like we want all this inflammation on the inside to chill. And how do we do that? We, it's purely time. It's kind of like you roll an ankle, what happens? You put some ice on it or whatever it is and you give it time to heal. It's the same thing that, that, that doesn't change. <laughs> You've give the body time to heal. And that's what we're doing. Letting our hormones and everything that, it, you know, everything that's going on on the inside basically recorrect itself because that's what it does. You can't really do much in that aspect unless you start looking at exogenous use of things, which I do not encourage. <laughs> but like I, if you guys want to read it, I do actually have an article up on my site about inflammation, but who would have thought that chronic stress is one of the massive triggers for this? Like yeah. a lot of people do not realize that when you are coming to a coach and you've, even though you have body fat, but you've been trying to diet for so long, this is that mentally dieting thing that I was talking about. You're never going to be in a position to commit to what you need to commit to, to get effective results. And your body internally isn't going to respond the way it needs to, because I hope your body is a responsive body. And like, how important is it for our gut health? Like our gut health is such a woo-woo topic, but it literally means your body's ability to digest food, to take out what it needs from food. How important is that when it comes oh. to body composition and how much does all the shit impact? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess that's the first primary uh, contact, you, you know, your body has with uh, energy in being food, right? So it's like as soon as energy as soon as food comes in, what well, the first thing that goes through is your digestive tract. So going through the digestive system, if that's not in a more optimal um, fashion or functioning as a, as a more optimal unit, then you already put yourself, you know, at a back pedal. Like you're already starting behind the line, like you're in trouble. <laughs> like, and this is not good. We want to be able to get your digestion at a point where, okay, that's the thing that we don't worry about what's happening next, if that makes sense. And digestion is an interesting one. Gut health, like you said, is a very, very very broad topic that we have not much science on, to be honest. And um, that comes from even the gut specialist PhDs and gut 
microbiome and stuff like that they're all like yeah we know something about something but we don't know much about this it's kind of like cool <laughs> you said that we're just going to keep it there we do know that there is a, a you know an axis between the gut and the brain we don't know too much about its interaction just yet we know that there's you know one can be affected by the other kind of we don't know how um, but what we do know is digestion plays a huge role in fat loss so if you're not digest if you're not digesting in an optimal fashion you put yourself behind the ball when it comes to potentially trying to diet down or even also on the flip side increase energy so it's like if we're taking too much food in and that's one of the biggest things and I don't know if your listeners have ever done like an actual bulk. I'm sure you have where you have to force feed yourself. It's not fun. And it's just kind of like force feeding yourself food because your goal is to get bigger. Um, also puts strain on the digestion on the digestive system. Right. And that's the, like this. And this is why I always say the energy in energy out paradigm is always going to be the overarching goal because it all leads down to that. So energy in allows you to function optimally. But at the same time, if you're not getting that much energy in, you're going to put stress on the digestive system on the other side of things. So it's like you're putting stress on the digestive system if you're in a surplus or if you're in a diet phase. <laughs> maintenance is maintenance. It's like gold standard. <laughs> and either side of that is bad. <laughs> and you can still progress in maintenance. That's the biggest thing. Exactly, exactly right. One last thing before we go into the whole PMS and that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. Aaron mentioned training for this. Now, there is a balance between having a fine approach to the training and beast mode but there's also the least mode like mm. you need to rest and recover to be able to adapt from that stimulus because there are different training methods like there's different ways to elicit different responses depending on what you are willing to do and the intensity that you are able to put into it but none of that matters if you're not least moding so maybe you can mm. just yeah, I mean, I'll touch a bit on training because training, I'd be talking here for five hours. But um, when it comes to tra- when it comes to training, it's pretty straightforward. You need to be able to create a stimulus that basically forces adaptation that you can recover from. So they all intertwine with each other. If you are not if you're not creating a stimulus that you adapt from, well, then you're wasting your time in the gym. If you're creating a stimulus that you can adapt from, but you're not recovering, which is where the adaptation occurs then you're wasting your time in the gym. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, if you're not, if you're just not training, you're not training. So then, I mean, you're not wasting anyone's time. You're just doing you basically. So we need to look at an adaptation that you can recover from effectively. How you go about that, there is many, many different ways to train. Um, like I said, I'd be here for five hours talking about training. So yeah, that was, that's the basics. That was pretty much what I did want to hear you say. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> it's like everyone's training is specific to them and specific to their mm-hmm. protocol. And I like, I, depending on where you are in your training age, your training is different as well. But I really want to go into the whole, see, I never really talk about the menstrual cycle online much because it's like, I can't say something and apply it to everybody because everybody responds differently. Some people of are course. on birth control. Yeah. Some people yeah. aren't on birth of control. Course. Some people are because some people yes. don't. So, I'm going to let Aaron take it away and talk a little bit about PMS first because that's something everybody experiences yeah. undergrade. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. It's always an interesting one talking about the menstrual cycle being a male. <laughs> it's kind of like, I can't say that I experience what you experience. I mean, I, I apologize, <laughs> but uh, I can try and go through with all the, the clients and data that I've sort of accumulated over the years. Um, when it comes to training and the menstrual cycle, now, there are those that believe that during certain periods of your menstrual cycle, 
or certain times of your menstrual cycle, I should say, that you should train less or with less effort and less intensity. And then that other phases of your menstrual cycle that you can train with more effort, more intensity, right? <sighs> Probably not. <laughs> like it, it really goes on how you as an individual feel. And like, as you just said, everyone is totally different, right? Like I've got female clients, for example, that when they even, when they get their menses, they don't realize that they have it because they don't feel anything. They, they don't get cramps. They don't get any pain. There's no discomfort. There's nothing. They literally just have that, that bleed and that's it. So they push and they train. Then I've got on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I've got female clients that are buckled from um, cramps and it's just like they, they, they can't function for three days. And it's just like, don't talk to them for three days because they will kill you. And it's like, okay, cool. We're just going to leave you there and we're going to let you auto-regulate your training in this, in this particular instance. You will have a lag time in between phases. So we have you know the follicular and we have the luteal phases here. And right in the middle is when we have this crossover of like estrogen, progesterone dominance, as well as testosterone climbing and dropping. So that middle, middle of the mark, let's say at the end of week, if we're going to use a four-week traditional cycle, which it isn't, it's usually 28 to about 35 days. But for argument's sake, let's say at the end of week two into week three is when in theory, you should be feeling almost your best, almost your best. Probably I'd say the back end of week two usually. Um, is when estrogen starts to starts to drop, progesterone starts to climb, but testosterone seems to be at this really nice steady level. So you can really push that training. Estrogen's highest basically through your menses at the start of your phase, and then it just declines and then progesterone takes off. And most of the time, progesterone was always associated with like weaker ligaments or potential for weaker ligaments and joints and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, well, no. And I've seen people post on Instagram over the last couple of years. It's like female coaches that sort of endorse this practice where I didn't go for my PB this week because I was in my, I was in week four and I was too close to my menses and I didn't want to risk injury. And it's like, you are leaving gains on the table. And then me as a coach is just like, why? <laughs> Please tell me you face plummet or lose people that are just treating them. Um, they treat them yeah, like princesses. Like, yeah, women, you are fucking yeah. badasses. Like you have, you probably babied someone, not babied, birthed, birthed the yeah. baby. Like you've done hard shit. Like, yeah, and when when I compare then and I look at a lot of again, this was a while back when it was more of a trend. It's not so much prevalent now. Oh no, 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 it is. Oh, okay. In, in my my audience, it's not as prevalent, luckily. But um, it, it's funny because when I I again, you've seen my girls and the way that they train and that they train like that, you know, twenty four seven, three sixty five, right? It's just like yeah, like the same with yourself. It's like you train hard the whole time and the only time that you don't is when you do genuinely feel off like it's like okay you're entitled to feel off we're human at the end of the day you know it doesn't matter if you're male or a female like there's going to be days when you walk in and you're like yeah nah today's not it (laughs) but i'm not going to walk in and be like my testosterone just isn't as high today so i'm not going to train hard like that's not how this works you know what i mean and that that's one of those those funny things when it comes to menstrual cycle and training um for, for most people, just train. And again, if you get cramps and sore, I mean, if it's to the point where you can't train, then don't train. Like it's okay. If you miss a couple of days, it's not going to be the end of the world in the grand scheme of your program or your great grand scheme of your goal. Um, 
but then you know there are those clients that have goals that like too bad take some panadol suck it up go train yeah like that's my view on all of this is stop freaking thinking about the fact that you have a menstrual cycle like the, the more that you focus on it the more you're going to get this like placebo is a thing and i feel like a lot of how we feel around our menstrual cycle is placebo or it's like we're expecting something yeah because yeah i get cramps here and there that's about it but I don't expect to crave chocolate. So I don't crave chocolate or I don't try to find link and cause to all of these different things. Oh, I'm, I'm PMSing this week. I must, I must crave chocolate. I'm craving chocolate Ruby. It's like, if you have cramps, don't train. If it's that bad, like that's fine. But bringing in now the food side of things, a lot of people do talk about like the different cravings and stuff like that. But one thing that I keep trying to say is, manage it through eating as much pro like eating all of your protein and as much veggies as possible first but people should be supplementing with magnesium at least mm. oh 100 everyone should be on magnesium regardless like it's it's a, a definitely um a supplement that's not used enough and people aren't taking in that uh, enough to be honest but when we look at nutrition for menstrual cycle, it's always a funny one too, right? Because we have the follicular phase, which is basically, you know, weeks one, one, one and two. I hate using the 28-day model just because it's so inaccurate. But for argument's sake, it's let's use the 28-day model. The first two weeks, you know, you have your menses in week one, for example. Estrogen's pretty high. Progesterone's pretty low. Testosterone's cruisy Great time to train and really push. The only limiting factor is cramps and, you know, the way you feel. Okay, well, we can't control that. We then get to the, the back end, you know, week three and let's say week four for a 28-day cycle. Um, you have the luteal, uh, the luteal phase, which happened, which has a balance of testosterone still starting to drop down, progesterone starts to climb, and estrogen drops. Now, what happens is as progesterone climbs, you have this associated cravings. The reason why you have the associated cravings is because your actual, let's say your metabolism actually picks up at this point in time. Your body temperature is irregulated effectively. Your body temperature increases. It's ever so slight, but it's it's enough to drive cravings. And what's the body telling you at this point in time? It requires more energy. It's requiring more energy to try and cool you down because your body temperature is up. I want okay. to re-emphasize what you just said there because <laughs> you no, know, you literally nailed it on the head. It's we are getting a substantial increase in the demand for energy, but the thing is, yeah. the the so, like the actual demand from for energy from the body itself is much smaller in demand. It's like a hundred calories from the last study that I read. Yeah, it's uh, I always just ballpark it because i've read studies where it's 300 i've read where it's 50 i'm like one to three say that <laughs> you cover both bases right so somewhere in in there you're getting this um you know extra requirement now if you're in a deficit <laughs> you have you're lucky in that you have an automatic feature <laughs> that puts your metabolism up a couple of hundred calories a day shit take advantage of it <laughs> don't feed into it do the opposite especially if you're in the deficit you now have like this extra little kick where you don't need to take anything exogenous and you can burn a little bit more energy for literally just a little bit more of a craving, which you know that you're going to have because you've accepted the fact that you're going to be hungry. 
So it's kind of like, hold on. Oh, you just bucked a thought in my head. The thing is, also <laughs> in that period of time, if you're now cramped up and wanting to move less or perform less, you've just offset that whole deficit to start with. Pretty much. So it's, it's literally how it's that's how physiology works. And it's kind of like it's one of these things where they all work together, both the mental and physical aspect. And now using the deficit as the example, like I was saying, you have you've created a deficit for a reason. You want an aesthetic goal. As a female, you have this two week on average period where you're going to have a high, a higher or a more efficient metabolism for a period of time that's going to allow you to burn more energy or use more energy for nothing, purely because of a hormonal reaction. You've accepted the fact you're going to be hungry and you're now hungry. So you can't use cravings as an excuse because you've said that you're okay with being hungry. So in theory, it puts you ahead. Yes, you have some water buildup and all that sort of stuff leading to your menses, but we know that by the end of week one in the start of week two, when the water's washed off, usually your weight is probably at its lowest around there. So if you've taken advantage of that two-week sort of progesterone spike and metabolism spike in week two of, give or take week two, of each menstrual cycle that you have, you should see that weight fall off in a deficit or body fat fall off, depending on the marker that you're using. That's how I sort of run it with my girls. And this is why I, I will always say protein and veggies are probably the biggest thing that you can do for yourself if you are experiencing this. Like it's not, it's not rocket science. Eat more protein, eat more veggies. Protein helps with cravings and it's also satisfying. Same with veggies. Like it is, I do see it a lot where it says like you, you don't have to suffer through diets, but it's like, yeah, you don't have to suffer as much but you're still going to have to suffer through it. Like it's not an easy process and you will be hungry, but what are, I guess, aside from magnesium, you can touch on omega-3 and whatever else you say, but what are some amazing, I would just keep saying magnesium because we yeah, really honestly, have enough of it, especially the, for females. Yeah. The biggest one is magnesium for females. Um, honestly, you could cover a pretty broad range of stuff with a really, really good multivitamin. Um, when I say a good multivitamin, this is where the, the caveat is. Um, not, yeah, not something that you buy from like my chemist warehouse <laughs> and you know, most of the shops in Australia. There might be one or two that I haven't come across them, but you might get lucky. But um, yeah, I heard Piping Rock. They seem to be the better ones because you can get access to like the States, the, like the American brands and stuff. And they just dosed way better with much better supplements. So you'd cover most of your bases with a good multivitamin. It doesn't have to be a female specific multivitamin, just a multivitamin. Um, it's like female specific protein does the same thing. Um, and getting uh, magnesium that they'd be the best two, I would say. And then for most people like vitamin D, just because we don't get enough vitamin D because we live, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like in Australia, you can use fish oils. Um, a pretty good potent fish oil will definitely help. It helps with a lot more, more, uh, it helps with other things. It does help. It's been shown to help with a little bit of cramping every now and then when it comes to menstrual cycle, it comes to menzies, it comes to cramping. The biggest thing with pain is you'll hear a lot of the time that you're not meant to be in tremendous amounts of pain from like specialists and stuff like that. It's, it's interesting in that. Yeah. In theory, the difference is, when a lot of the studies were done on pain or have been done on pain, the actual nutritional um, 
interventions that we use were very different to now. Like we have a lot more processed foods and that sort of stuff here. We have a lot more access to, to different types of foods than we did then, as well as activity and just lifestyle changes are very different. So we can limit bouts of pain. Um, interesting ways to do it are actually literally a bit of dairy, um, a little bit more phytoestrogens and stuff like that, that they seem to help. Broccoli, yeah it's like it just it just seems to help it's just one of those things again everyone's different so we won't know it may work for you but it may not work for your friend we don't know (laughs) thank you for mentioning that actually because he mentioned pain guys pain like i'm actually getting really sick of seeing it as well like there's so much shit out there but if you look at someone's profile this is why i say you need to know exactly who you're getting your information from and i am so blessed thank you thank you luke I'm so blessed to have gone through the mentoring that I went through because it has taught me to analyze, but I don't know whether to also attribute that to going to uni because uni has helped me disseminate a lot of shit and gave me access to papers. But the thing is, pain isn't just a physical thing. It Mm -hmm. is a very, very mental thing. And yeah, it may not be, if there are people out there saying it may not be normal, it might be common, but not normal. It's like, yeah, but that's different. What's your perception of pain? Because I know someone who broke their thumb and it's all healed up, but they can't even use their thumb because to them, it's still in freaking pain. But physically there is literally nothing wrong with it. There is no sign of anything wrong with this, but there is still that phantom pain there from what existed. So that is something to keep in mind as well. And I guess two other things I want to mention to chuck onto the PMS thing is there are studies that melatonin is actually really beneficial Mm -hmm. for people that um, they're like, I take melatonin regardless. It's so amazing. It's an antioxidant. But mm-hmm. if you suffer from premenstrual dysphoria, mm-hmm. it is beneficial. It's That's beneficial. what I need omega-3 for as well. Like if you yeah. are PMDD, take your omega-3. So mm-hmm. it can like... Yeah I, I, yeah, I mean, well, you, you pretty much touched on it. It's literally there to assist <laughs> with, with those symptoms or potential symptoms. So PMDD is an interesting one. It doesn't seem to, it's really funny because I know a lot of females don't realize they have it. And it's kind of like they're having all these weird symptoms, both, you know, physical and mental. And it's kind of like, shit, like what's going on here? And then you start bridging into this phenomena almost like hey this could be what it is we don't know much about it like there's some research on it and there's some you know experts talking about it but it's not really spoken about and they're kind of like oh yeah but then it's like on the flip side i try not to push it not push it i try not to mention it overly much because like most people being human right when you look at for example like a horoscope and it gives you these details and you're like yeah that's me you're like, no, 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 that's everyone. Like everyone can fit into this little crappy, stupid thing. So it's the same thing. So I try not to break into it too much. I'd rather just sort of <laughs> leave it. But there are those cases or causes that, that happen sometimes. And you just it helps the, the client mentally understand and accept where they're, where they're at. If you're a client and you're listening to this, I'm really sorry, but this is why I really struggle sometimes to tell you why things are the way they are. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> just do it and tell me how you feel. Because I actually have two clients that I know have PMDD, but I have not mentioned a thing to them because I know placebo. And that's why yeah. I don't like talking about mental yeah. cycle things. I try not to talk about things that you can start imagining. Like, I find it hard because it's like, I want you to know why I'm saying what I'm saying. But at the same time, I don't because I don't want you to expect it. Or no, I, it's... and everyone also responds differently. So in a way, it's just like 
you tell me how you feel and then I can explain to you why and yeah. then go that way. Well, so it's not like- the, the thing is with the, the menstrual cycle as well and the way I like to sort of put it i like to give general information where you know it's probably going to suit everybody and it's going to everyone's going to be like oh yeah yeah right but then you have your own individual cycle and that's it's funny because that's yours like no one else has your cycle that's like own it like that shit's yours like be proud of it you know what i mean like that if you have it and it's running and it's healthy like shit fucking hey Yes, you've done very, very well. Be proud of that shit because there's only a handful of females I've come across in the six, seven years of coaching that actually have a regular healthy, what we deem a regular healthy menstrual cycle. So it's like own that shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's yours. Like I can give you all the information in the world, but it's not going to apply to you specifically because you aren't the next person. That's That's why I really want to say stop. Stop looking for information for things that are particular to you. Like there is general information out there and that's why I put out podcasts. That's why I put out posts. And that's why I help my clients individually. That's why Aaron helps his clients individually because we have individual needs and we respond differently. But oh, we're closing on a time, so I want to quickly just touch on that. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm sorry. But, um, but it's so important that you realize the more you try to find information, the more you are going to not only confuse yourself, but you're going to put false things into your head. Like I remember I used to do it to myself all the time. And I know everyone, like anyone can relate to having some type of placebo effect, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to also close this off coming on to hormonal birth, birth control, because I know more people than not have been on it now over the days of people actually seeing the research on it, they're coming off it. I love, I love how Luke says this. By the way, Luke's my coach slash mentor slash person of awesomeness. But he said it this way: I can't believe they won't give males hormonal replacement, or they, or they won't give females yeah. hormonal replacement <laughs> when they're in menopause. But mm-hmm. they would happily just prescribe a birth pill, like it's which is hormonal replacement. So it's this is an interesting one when it comes to. Um, birth control um, we've we've had over the years different types of birth control so depending on your age <laughs> will depend on uh, which one that you've probably had right we've got three to four classes of birth control and they all act a little bit differently we have for again to really simplify this we have a progesterone based one and an estrogen based one and then we have a mixed one right they're, they're the tablets that effectively take you take that's where the 28 day cycle sort of started it was more of a marketing thing to say hey look we can charge you every month like <laughs> it makes it much easier to regulate versus every 35 days for example but we have estrogen based or estrogen dominant um, birth control which isn't a thing really anymore it's still around but doesn't really get used Taking exogenous estrogen while you have estrogen production puts you in what estrogen dominance gives you a bit of problems. <laughs> so they were seeing that there were some potential issues with having more estrogen than um, having progesterone because we always have to find that ratio or that balance. Um, we then had the progesterone, they're called progestins, but progesterone based um, birth control. And again, same thing, it threw the actual ratios out of whack. Now we have more progesterone than estrogen, (laughs) which was a problem. So they thought, stuff it, let's mix them together and we'll try and get the balance right, which they did. Problem being that now you have both elevated estrogen and progesterone. (laughs) So it's almost like you're superhuman without the superhuman effects. Um, How that relates to training, because you're using synthetic estrogen 
and progesterone, but more so the estrogen for training side of things. The synthetic estrogen effects didn't allow for the natural um, balance of other factors like testosterone to occur. So again, females do have a little bit of testosterone. It's not much. It's like two to three milligrams per week on average, give or take, which isn't much at all. But that two to three milligrams makes a big difference when it comes to training and training output and recovery. So increasing both estrogen and progesterone went up, but testosterone didn't come up with it. So we had a bit of a, a level issue here where females were then coming off the pill and then their training got way better. They got way stronger, they got way leaner and they felt 10 times better. And it's like, well, yeah, because now the ratio of hormones is back into a more functional um, amount effectively. But you also need to realize guys that there is a lag time here as well. And you will feel like shit before yes. you feel fit again. Like there, yes. you just influx, influx. You just had an influx of artificial hormones in your body. And this is even more important. I'm going to say again and again and again, eat your fucking veggies because like it has all the minerals you need. And if you've been listening to this long enough and you follow me or you follow Aaron on our social media platforms, I'm sure we both talk over and over about the importance of adequate nutrients. Like I always push a like a particular way of having a good look on a multivitamin and it's you need to have methylated B vitamins in there because our bodies don't always absorb them. And the one that I always push out is life extensions to a day multivitamin yep. because thorn's too expensive, but that's another option as well. Like make sure that you are getting in adequate nutrients. And this is why it's not all about if it fits your macros, because mm -hmm. what you eat determines how your body responds. And listening back to this whole conversation, mm -hmm. you might want to play it again it explains why. So yep. I guess with that, I'm going to let you like sum it up, put your little points out there about, I guess, like five different topics we spoke about and tied up with the boat. Uh, yeah. I think honestly, the, the best way, to, the best way I can sum it up, you again, more so to the female uh, listeners, you are an individual, you have your own internal and external stresses that happen right and the way the best way for you to manage them is the best way for you to manage them and that's on you and the um, strategies you can put in place with a coach or with you know a mental health expert uh, expert depending on obviously the issues at play when it comes to physiology it's nothing but time and that's probably the biggest hardest thing to hear <laughs> is that it's time if you're in a deficit and you've had issues at time at maintenance will probably recorrect it and on the plus side i'm sorry on the, the other side being in a surplus for a period of time and you want to recorrect all the issues that you've accumulated from being in a surplus time at maintenance is probably going to be the best thing for you time is going to basically heal all wounds <laughs> is probably the best way i can put it for that um when it comes to your hormones and all that sort of stuff again not that we touched on it, but it's like hormone recorrection does happen in a deficit for a period of time, depending on the hormone. But again, we can always do another one if you really want to and really deep dive into hormones. But um, yes, yeah, it's just that we'd be here for another, we'd just be, we'd be here for ages, that's all. Um, but we do see like thyroid and, you know, um, leptin, ghrelin, uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all better regulate for a short period of time inside a deficit um so and you don't get the maladaptations of the deficit usually depending on the length of time so 
things like that can occur. But at the same time for, for the girls, it's kind of like just, hey, if you have a healthier menstrual cycle, if you feel good and want to train, train. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your menses. You don't need to train hard and weak or train hard and weak. Train harder or train <laughs> with less intensity at certain periods of your, your menstrual cycle. It's not a big deal. Just train. Um, deload when you need to deload. When your coach tells you, eat the foods that you want to eat. Make sure that you're getting enough healthy food in and you'll get there. It's just time. I'm like, honestly. Time. It's time. <laughs> If, if you don't put in the time, then you're going to have to get stuck with the same results because you just keep wanting the quick fix, I guess. That's yeah, it'd be kind of nice if there was a, a pill, but then we wouldn't have a job. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And it, like you can even relate it to the whole shit cabangle that's going on around us with the fact that we're still getting prescribed Band-Aids instead of actually getting to the root cause. Mm-hmm. And like you can do that all you want, but the root cause of being unhealthy and unfit is still there. So... With that, we might have to do a hormones podcast too because we can I am in love with endocrinology. But yeah, <laughs> we can do that. That'd be fun. We will. So with that, I'm going to put Aaron's Insta link below at Elite Strength Coach on Instagram. He's kind of beasting out hack spots lately, which is freaking awesome. But yeah, yeah. I had a really bad session last week. But anyway, that's okay. We won't talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> you will get bad sessions. That's okay. <laughs> So <laughs> with that, I thank you for coming on. That was a blast. No and I hope thank you for having me on. I hope a lot of you girls got a lot out of this. And I will see you on the next podcast. Thank you. Done and done. Thank you very much.